People who have read much of the Bible know that most of it is actually pretty easy to understand. In fact, we read uh, a lot of the Bible to children, and they get it. But that's not, that's not universally true throughout the Word of God. There are some tough passages that are really challenging. Uh, if you're reading in, in Revelation uh, chapter 13... Uh, you read about, you're, you're looking and you see a, a, an ocean, a seashore. And coming up out of the ocean, there is a monster. And the monster has seven heads and ten horns. And on the seven heads are written unutterable blasphemies. And the monster is controlled by a dragon that stands on the seashore. Now, Obviously, that's going to take a little bit of interpretative work to figure out what's going on in that. I, when when pastor asked me to bring the message this morning, I, I, I thought, well, I hope he gives me one of the first kinds of, of passages, not one of the second kinds, no monsters, uh, no dragons or anything like that. And when he asked me to continue what he's doing, by the way, if you're visiting with us this morning, this is an expository pulpit. Our pastor preaches through the Bible Book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, sometimes word by word. And uh, because we believe that the Bible has a message for us today. So he asked me to go ahead and continue with what we're doing in 1 John. Take the next set of verses. And when I looked at it, I went, oh, that's great. It's about love. It's about the love of God. And so... Uh, yes, I, it'll be easy to study and to, and to, and to bring a message on. And when I, when I looked at it, I realized that, uh, wow, John really didn't, didn't want you to miss the point here. I mean, this is just six verses. But those six verses have one word that appears 13 times in the six verses, and it's the word love. And so I thought, okay. I can do this. Uh, but when I started looking at it, I realized that while the words are simple and the sentence structure is simple, the concept that he's talking about is really deep. I mean, what he's talking about, some things about the nature of God that are really significant. Like, like we're going to look at some really mind-blowing stuff this morning. So hang in there. I thought about Augustine who, who wrote about another book by John, the, the Gospel of John. And Augustine said that the Gospel of John is shallow enough to wade in and deep enough to drown in. And I, I looked at that and I thought, that, yeah, this is exactly what we're looking at today. Um, I, I actually did a readability test of this. You can do one real simple on, on a computer to figure out what grade level something is written to. And when I looked at the passage for this morning, I realized that, that this is to a sixth grade level. While the words and the sentences are sixth grade level, the concepts are, that we'll be looking at are, are so significant and so deep in, 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 the, in the ocean, the deepest part of the ocean anywhere is uh, in the Pacific Ocean. It's called the Marianas Trench. And uh, it's 1,500 miles north to south. That's the deepest part of the ocean. And the deepest part of the deepest part of the ocean is at the southern end of the Marianas Trench. It's called the Challenger Deep. 
and the Challenger Deep is seven miles from surface to bottom. And when I was looking at this, I thought, yeah, this is kind of like the Challenger Deep of theology here. The concepts, not the words, not the sentences, but the concepts that he'll be talking about. So I hope I've, I've whetted your appetite a little bit. We're going we're gonna to read through it again just quickly. As we do, you might want to look for those uh, instances of the word love. I said there are 13. Now, if you count the word beloved, which is a form of that in direct address, which he calls, he calls these people beloved twice. So if you count that, that's up to 15 now, 15 times that love is mentioned. Okay. Let's read it again. We'll run through it quickly. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, by this the love of God was manifested in us, in that God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And so to begin to take this apart, we have to begin with that concept that John beats for those six uh, for those six verses, that concept of love. It's a common word that we hear every day. You've heard it already many times here. Maybe somebody said, I love your shoes. I love those earrings. I'm going on vacation soon. I love the mountains. We use that word all the time. You hear that word literally hundreds of times a day. Now, remember, think in terms of social media, uh, TV, radio, music, it is ubiquitous. We hear the word everywhere. And yet, I'll bet you, if you heard that word a thousand times this week, how many times did that word mean the same thing that John is talking about? Virtually out of a thousand, I would say zero. We use the word. What The problem is that like when we were in school, our teachers gave us list of words. And she said, okay, I want you to define those words. Put the meaning of those words down. And so we looked up the meaning. And that gave us the idea that words have meaning. They don't. Uh, General Semanticists say that people, words don't have meaning. People have meaning. Because we use them in different ways all the time. Okay, let's say, for instance, you're getting ready to go to church. And uh, mom said, oh, I'm going I'm to need an extra 10 minutes. I got, I got to fix my hair. And dad says, well, that's, that's good because I've got a tire that's low. So I, I, let, me, let me go fix that while you're, while you're doing that. And junior says, ah, oh, okay, so I've got time to fix a, a bowl of cereal, right? And grandma says, and, and I can finish watching Chip and Joanna's Fixer Upper. Uh, there's, you know, I, I, I got it on pause right now and I can go. So obviously all those different ways of using that word fix. And when mom says, I've got to fix my hair and dad says, I got to fix the tire. They're talking about two completely different definitions of that word, unless she's got lug nuts in her hair or something like that. We're, we're looking at a completely different way of using the word because words have lots of meanings. 
the word with the most meaning in the English language is the word run. And it has 645 definitions. The second word is the word set, S-E-T, with 430. So we use words in a lot of ways, like, like that word love. Oh, by the way, uh, in, in Texas, uh, occasionally, only occasionally, during the winter, uh, a soft, moist, white stuff will fall from the sky. And we Texans have agreed that we're going to call that snow. So that stuff that, that you catch in your hand, that's snow. If you go north to the Arctic Circle, uh, where the Inuit people live, you'll find that they, even though they live in snow, they don't have that word. The Inuits have 50 different words for snow. They don't let you use that generic word. They, they have a word that means snowflake, a word that means frost, a word that means fine snow, a word that means snow on the ground, a word that means soft, deep snow, a word that means fresh snow, a word that means blizzard, a word that means snowbank. Very specific word so that, so that because our language kind of shapes the way we think about things. When it comes to love, we can use love in so many different ways in, in the English language. I can say uh, I love Tex-Mex. I love Horned Frog football. I love my wife. Hopefully, I don't love Horned Frog football and my wife in the same way, but we have to use the same word. You know that, that in the Greek language, there, the Greeks did not have that generic word. They made you be specific. They made you choose a word that was more descriptive of what you were talking about. And so there's one word for friendship and affection. There's one word for uh, family love. There's one word for romance and sexual love. And there's one word for the kind of unselfish love that God has for us. That's, that's the word agape that you have heard many times. That's the word, by the way, that's used in the passage we're looking at today. This agape form of love. Our, the way we think about love is, tends to be determined by all the times that we hear something used. And we hear it used so often in, uh, on television and in uh, social media. We hear it used in movies. Uh, we hear it used in music. Did you know that 60% of all songs are written about love? 60%. And, and, and the average American listens to TV, watches TV, four hours a day. Uh, we're on our smartphones for three hours a day. And we listen to music for 2.6 hours a day. And you say, boy, that's not me. Well, if it's not then, that means that somebody else has to be watching a great deal. You say, I only watch for maybe an hour a day of all those things. Well, then think about some, what someone else has to be doing to balance that out. Because the average American watches TV four hours a day. Some of you... Women are probably already watching Christmas in December on the Hallmark Channel. I mean, Christmas in July, rather, on the Hallmark Channel. And what are all those Hallmark movies about? They're all about love. Every one of them. Every one of them has a definition of love. And in that definition of love, love is something you can fall into. 
Love is something you can fall out of. And that's really significant. That It's really hard for us to hear a word hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times a day and then when we go to the Word of God to be able to put off that definition and to, and to begin using what God's definition of love is. In America, half of all marriages end in divorce. Half end in divorce. And so that means at some point, two people stood before God and everybody else and said, I love you till death do us part. I really love you. And at some point, they're getting a divorce. And what happened? Well, we fell out of love. We no longer love each other like we used to love each other. Well, what happens is that if that's the way we're defining love, we even move that into our relationship with God. And I've talked to so many people who said, if you just knew me, I don't see how God can love me. I don't see how God can continue to love me, can continue to accept me, considering my life, considering what I've done. And what we've done is we've taken the world's definition of love and we've moved it over. So if that definition is deficient, what exactly is God talking about here? Let me give you a definition of love that's the agape kind of love that he's talking about. Love is when you value somebody. You value somebody and you act toward them consistent with that value that you place. You want to uh, choose to do things that help and support that person. Choose to do the best for that person. Love is an act of the will. Is an act of the will that leads to action on behalf of the person we love. Christ loves the church. Does he love the church because we're so wonderful, because we're so good? Does he love the church because we're so uniformly obedient? Do we love the church because we make him happy? No. He chose to love us, and not only did he say he loved us, but he demonstrated. Because love is an act of the will that leads to an action. Now, one of the best ways to understand love is to look at the Bible's operational definition of it, which is in 1 Corinthians 13. That's what love is all about. It's so easy to say, I love you. Well, stop that. Think about love in terms of what God says it's all about. So God says, if you love somebody, this is what you're like. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous of somebody's good fortune. It's humble. It's generous. Love is not easily provoked. You say, I love my mom. I love my wife. I love my kids. I agape my kids. Are you easily provoked? Because that's not what love is. Love is not the way you feel. Love is not, love is not the emotion. Love is not, you know, a feeling that, that you have an emotional attachment. Love is 
an act of the will that leads to an action. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not keep account of wrongs. Because if you're with somebody, you will wrong them. You will say things. Sometimes you'll say things and, and you'll just slip and you won't realize what you said. Sometimes you realize exactly what you said. And when we do, love does not keep account of wrongs. Because love decides that, that I'm going to act in such a way that shows how much I value that person. One of the best definitions of love uh, Jesus gave in uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. And this guy is on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's waylaid by a, a bunch of uh, uh, robbers and stuff, and, and they take his money and they beat him up. And he is there somewhere between living and dead, beaten and bloody beside the road, and, and a, a priest comes along. And a Levite religious worker comes along. And they look at that guy and they cross to the other side. Now, I'll bet you if you ask the priest, what does the, what does the law teach about love? I bet you he could have quoted chapter and verse. The Levite too. And they knew what God said, but the bottom line is they didn't. They didn't want to deal with that. And in fact, if there were a cell phone in those days, one of them would probably have called up his wife and said, you'll never guess what I saw. This guy is beside the road. He's all beaten and bloody, and I, I, I feel so bad for him, you know. I mean, maybe one of them saw that guy and almost shed a tear, you know. But, but feeling bad and shedding tears has nothing to do with love. The Samaritan, the hated one, the one that the priest and Levite wouldn't have even talked to had he come along the road. The Samaritan comes up and he takes that guy and he ministers to him. He treats his wounds and drops him off at, a, at an inn and says, take care of him and if it costs more than I've left you, he left money, he said, if it costs more than I left you, I'll pay the rest of it when I see you. And that is love. Love is not that I feel bad. Love is that I choose to, to, to bless someone with the way I act around them, what I say around them, and what I do. It's not an emotional attachment. Some people are really emotionally attached to their children. I've heard parents say, I can't discipline my kids because I just love them too much. I can't stand it. I don't want to see them cry. I don't want to see them hurt. You know, I, I don't want them to, I, I, I don't want them to turn against me because I'm, I'm doing this. I just love them too much to spank them. Proverbs 13, 14 says this, he who withholds the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. And, and if you don't now, of course now, remember that there's, when it comes to discipline, there's a whole range of things. And, and I believe that, 
that that physical discipline should be reserved for rebellion when a child is just saying, no, I will not. I understand what you're saying, but I'm not going to do it. You know, the real model for parenting is God. We have been adopted into his family. We're his sons. We're his daughters. And he relates to us as a parent. And we can learn about parenting from God because he disciplines us. He loves us. He tells us he loves us. And that's part of the deal. You should, if you love someone, you should tell them. You should go up to them and say, I love you. But then you should act in a way that's consistent with what God says about love also. God loves us. And there are times when he disciplines us. First, uh, uh, Hebrews 12, beginning with verse 5. Let me just read it. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not lightly regard the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are punished by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and punishes every son whom he receives, disciplines every son whom he receives. For whom the Lord loves, he di- Why? Because that's agape. That's agape. If he just lets it go, is that love? Because love says, I care about you. I want to act in your best interest. I want to act on your behalf. I want to act in a way that shows you what God's love really is. Well, let's move on then. We are commanded to love, which frustrates a lot of people because The idea, again, going back with the way the world defines love, the world says that love is that love is a love is a feeling. Love is something that you fall into, you fall into, you fall out of, and you know it's really hard to say that that you're commanded to love somebody. Okay, so can God tell you? Can God tell me that I'm supposed to love Bobby Kihano and I go do it? I mean, like, can God, can God give me that command? If God says that, that, that I am to give, I understand that, you know? If God says I'm to share my faith, I'm understanding. But can I actually love Bobby? I mean, choose to love him and do it. Is that a command that I can keep? We'll read you some verses. Now, I'm going to read you to me to look up. So if you're interested in this, write it down. Write down the verses, and you can check it out later. Here's what the Bible says about love. Uh, John 15, 17, Jesus said, This is my command, love each other. Matthew 5, 44, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. John 15, 12, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How much am I to love her? Give me a measure, God. Give me a measure about how I'm to love Debbie Thompson. 
how will I know when I'm there? How will I know I'm doing it? Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. 1 John 4.21 And he has given us a command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. 1 Peter 1.22 Now you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. These are commands. 1 John 3.18 Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. Ephesians 5.28 In this same way husbands ought also to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife Loves himself. Amen, women? Okay. Um, Romans 13, 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. John 13, 34. Love one another. So back to Bobby. How am I going to know when I get it? How am I going to know that I'm doing it right? What's your measure, Jesus? John 13, 34 says, love one another just as I loved you. And the next verse, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. One last one. A lawyer, a Pharisee, asked Jesus this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love. This is a commandment of the law. What is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost command. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, God does not leave us to wonder what the model for this is. Because the model for love, you know, this passage says God is love. And God has always been love. Who did God love before he made the world? There was an inter-Trinitarian love. That has always existed. The Father for the Son, the Son for the Father, the Holy Spirit for the Son and the Father. It's real easy for us to understand eternity from here on because you realize that a thousand years from today, everybody in this room will still be alive. None of us will be dead. Some of us are really young, some of us are a lot older. But whether we're young or whether we're old, a thousand years from today, we'll all still be alive. In heaven? I hope not. But in hell, if you don't know Jesus. It's easy to understand. Life is now and it never ends. But now, look at the other direction, though. Because with God, there was a time when we came into being, but will never be a time when we are not alive. But 
for God, there ha- he has always been. God had no beginning. He has always existed for all time. And, okay, just to use that word time is our construction. God created time. I mean, when you say time, how do you measure it? Well, you measure it in years and in months and in weeks and in days and in hours and minutes and seconds. And all that is based on the planetary system. When you measure a year, how do you know when a year has passed when the earth has gone around the sun one time? How do you know when a day has passed when the earth has revolved in that orbit, when the earth has revolved one time completely? All the time uh, markers are all based on the sun, the moon, the planets. There was a time when there was no sun. There was no moon. There was no planets. There was a time when all there was was God. And what was going on in that time? They were loving one another. They were communicating with one another. What were they talking about? Well, at one point, Peter Swanson's name came up. Isn't that amazing? Before God ever made Adam, Peter's name came up. And God chose him. The Bible says in Ephesians, before the foundation of the world, they communicated with each other. And God was saying, you know, I want to glorify you as my son. And the son says, I want to glorify the father. And the Holy Spirit is wanting to work to glorify both of them. And the father wanted to, there was this circle of love that was going on. And the father wanted to extend that so He created man, and God said, I love you so much, I'm going to create a whole race of people to sing your praises. And then the son said, yeah, and I'm going to take those praises, and I'm I'm going to turn them back, and I'm going to glorify you. So the father said, I'm going to get... I'm going to create people who will glorify the Son. And the Son says, and I'm going to take that glory and I'm going to give it back to you. And the Holy Spirit's working in all of that to make that happen. What's going on? Glorifying, loving, communicating. Listen to how Christ describes this. This is in, and you might want to look at this one. This is in John 17. It's the end of his high priestly prayer in John 17. And he's talking about what we were just talking about. John 17, beginning with verse 22. And the glory which you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. Verse 23. I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent them, sent me, and love them. We're about, to, we're about to jump into the challenger deep here, guys. Look at the end of verse 23. That you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. We understand the Father's love for the Son. What is the measure of the Father's love for, this, for us? And, and Jesus said, I want them to understand, God, that you love them. 
like you love me. If you understand that, rethink it because you don't. How much does Jesus love you? How much does God love you? Like he loves his son. So there's this inner Trinitarian love fest that's going on before God ever made Adam. And we're brought along to be a part of that. Uh, verse uh, 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. And we will see his glory. You know, if you if you look at Revelation uh, Revelation 21, yeah, Revelation 21 talks about heaven. And when we're in heaven, eventually everything will be burned up except that heavenly city. And there will be no more sun. There will be no more stars. There will be no more moon. There will be no more interplanetary space. There is just the city. And there's no lamp or light in the city. And the light in the city is from the glory of the sun. Where does the light in heaven? Heaven is a bright and beautiful and glorious place. Where does the light come from? It comes from the sun. It's the glory of the sun. That's exactly what he is saying here. He is saying... In this verse, he says that where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Next verse, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. And when God's talking about this love that we're to feel for each other, he said it's a little slice of that love. And he's saying, I'm going to give them a love. Now, how can we measure? What, what is this like? He said it's like this inner Trinitarian love which, all, which existed from, from ever, forever. There was never a time when it didn't exist. The love with which you have loved me. And he said, I'm going to take that and I'm going to give it to them. Well, let's look back now. That was the introduction, by the way. <laughs> let's look back now. To, we can run through it fairly quickly at, at 1 John chapter 4. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Remember that, remember that uh, uh, John 17, uh, uh, 26 that we just saw, so that the love with which you love me may be in them. For he says, For love is of God, and everyone that loves has been born of God and knows God. And that is one of the proofs of salvation. We tend to think in terms of how do you know you're saved? Try to remember some time when you did something. 
you know, when you pray to prayer or something like that. The emphasis in Scripture is if you're saved, the, the, the life of God lives inside you and he changes your life. And he said, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. If you look back, and the pastor just preached on this, if you look back at... Uh, 1 John 2, just on the previous page, uh, verse 9. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause of stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Next chapter, 1 John 3.10. By this the children of God... And the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Or the one who does not love his brother. Verse 9. By this the love of God was revealed in us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is how God dealt with the great dilemma of the universe because God existed in love, the Father for the Son, the Son for the Father, the Spirit for the Son and the Father had existed in that. And yet when he made us humans, we rebelled against him. And now we're out of fellowship with him. And how is God going to take care of our sin? I mean, he loves us, but it is a holy love. How will he, how will he take care of that sin problem? Propitiation means to satisfy the righteous anger so God was angry with sin. He's angry with my sin. What's he going to do about it? And so before, again, before the foundation of the world, before he ever made Adam, he'd already planned this out. And so Jesus came to die. And when they hung him on the cross at noon, the world turned dark. Not just Palestine, everything worldwide, I think, turned dark because the fellowship of the Father and the Son was broken. Because at that point, God took all of my sin, took everything I've ever done, and he put it on his Son and yours. And God took our sin and he put it on Jesus on the cross. The only man who never deserved to die for sin died for mine. And he died for yours. Now here's the freaky thing, guys. Here's the Father and the Son who have been living in perfect love and unity forever. And now that's broken. Now that's broken. Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God, all of a sudden has all my sin on him. He's got everything I ever said. It's got everything I ever did. 
Not only what I have done, but what I will do. And that love fellowship is broken. Until finally, at, at the ninth hour, three o'clock, he cries out, Tetelestai, it is finished. Paid in full. He took my sin debt and he paid it in full. When you come to when you come to the Father and you confess your sin, remember that sin is already under the blood. And the one who had from eternity past lived in perfect love with the Father was cut off. That's propitiation. That God's anger against sin was directed toward his own son. It sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. This is the mandate that John had heard Jesus give many, many times. Talk about love and how we're to love one another. Love other people. I'm sure he remembered the time just before the crucifixion when John and his brother James were talking and they came to Jesus and said, you know, we know you're coming into your kingdom. They kind of misplaced the time on the millennium. But we know you're coming into your kingdom and is there any way we could be like vice regents under you and maybe like maybe like James could sit over here and John could sit over here, you know? Because they wanted a position of power and authority. And then a couple of days later, they were in that upper room and they saw Jesus getting down on his hands and knees to wash their feet. That was the position of a slave. It was dirty work and it was beneath everyone's dignity to do that. Only a slave would do that. And Jesus got down and he was washing their feet because he understood what love is. Love is not some emotion that you feel. Love is a commitment to the best for that person. Love is a commitment to show God's love toward that person. There's nothing wrong with emotion, by the way. God gave us that too. And frequently that love is accompanied by emotion. But agape love is what you choose to do to bless another person and to do the best for them and to show them God's attitude toward them. No one has seen God, verse 12. No one has seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. It's interesting how he began by that by saying no one has seen God. Why did he put that there? Well, Jesus talked about that a lot. 
about about seeing God, about seeing me, seeing God. In uh, in John fourteen eight, um, uh, Jesus said uh, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He goes ahead and says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. But from now on, you know and have seen him. And then Philip's, Philip violates the rule that we teachers like to use all the time. We say, there are no stupid questions. Oh, yeah, there are. And, and Philip just asked one. I mean, after Jesus said, if you've seen me, uh, you've seen the Father from now and you have seen him. And Philip said, okay, I got this. If you'll like show me God, I think everything will be okay. I think I'll get it. So could like right now, could you like show us the Father? Could you like bring him down here? And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. What's God like? He's like Jesus. He's like Jesus. When Jesus was here on earth, they could look at him and see the Father. He is gone now. And his body is the church. And what he's saying is if people want to see what God is like, let them look at the love that you guys have for each other. And they will see God in that. No one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God remains in us and his love matures. It's perfected in us. So the question then is, how do I pull this off? Okay, good stuff. Okay, I'm commanded to love. So how do I, how do, I do that? How do I, pull this, how do I pull this thing off that you've been talking about? Let's look at a couple of verses together. We, you know these verses, so no need to look them up. Ephesians 5.18, it says, uh, But do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Have you ever wondered why drunkenness and spirit filling are in the same verse? Why he put them there next to each other? There's a good reason, because drunkenness changes people. You know, there are people who are so quiet and shy and they would never, they would never say anything in a, in a group until they're drunk. And now they become gregarious. The person who would, in normal group, would stand behind the potted palm and never, you'd never even know they were there. And now they're drunk and they're the life of the party. Someone who is cowardly and shy, get them drunk, and they're brave. Someone who is a great driver, get him drunk, and he's reckless. Why? Because wine, too much wine, changes you, changes the way you act. And, and Paul said, don't, don't, don't let your life be controlled with, with wine, but let it be controlled by the Holy Spirit. 
to be filled with the Spirit. That's controlled by the Spirit. And then over in Galatians, what does he say about that? He says, for the fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit of the Spirit, the result. If wine controls you, you act in certain kinds of ways. If the Spirit controls you, you will act in other kinds of ways. Like what kinds of ways? Would, I know how you will act if wine controls you. How will you act if the Spirit controls you? And the first thing he says, the fruit of the Spirit is, guess what? Love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. How do you pull this off? Number one, you got to believe what God's saying here. You know, that the fact that when we hear the word love, and we hear it multiple times every day, when we hear the word love, that's not the same thing that God is talking about that the, God's definition is not the world's definition and God's is so much better. There's nothing wrong with the kinds of love that the, what the world taught. Those are good. That emotional love, physical, romantic love, those are great. But God says, the kind of love I'm talking about is the kind of love I love you with. And the thing is, I have given you a part of that. And so that inner Trinitarian love can now exist in your home, in your church. So number one is just to believe that. Got to believe what God has already said about it. Number two, you got to believe it's a command we can obey. That God has told us to love our kids, our parents, our spouses. And here's the good news. Maybe you say, you know, it's, I really loved my spouse, but I don't love her like I used to. I don't love him like I used to. There's good news. See, the world says, well, you fell out of love. It's gone. And God says, no. I've told you to do that, and you can do it. And I will, I will give you the strength to be able to do that. Just to believe that this is a command that we can obey. Step number three, confess it. Confess, like 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins. That confess means to agree with us to the nature of. So if I say, this is a wooden pulpit, and you say, yes, Tommy. That indeed is a wooden pulpit. What have we done? We have both agreed as to the nature of that object. And when God says, Tommy, you didn't love, that's sin. And I come to God and say, you're exactly right. That is sin. And I confess I have not loved. I confess it to you. I, I agree with what you said, God. And I thank you that when Jesus hung on the cross, you took my failure to love and you put it on him. He died. My failure to love put your son on the cross. And I confess it. Number four, yield yourself to him. 
Some people think about, you know, I've heard people say, oh, God, I just want you to come down inside me and, and just love through me. It's almost like it's like I'm become a ventriloquist puppet. And sort of like I'm saying, oh, God, you just come on down inside me and just, you know, you know I'm not loving. You just love through me. You do it through me. And I see what they're saying. But, you know, the Bible says that, that he will give us strength he will give us power to do things, but we have to make those choices ourselves. You can't say, Lord, I don't like my wife. <laughs> I don't love my wife. But if you want to love her through me, just go right ahead. No, I've got to confess that. And I've got to say, how would I act if I really loved her? I will begin to act in those ways. And I will fill my mind with what you say about love. And Lord, I want to yield myself to you. Because I know that down inside, when you got saved, one of the things that happened is the Holy Spirit baptized you into Christ. He identified you with Christ. And the Holy Spirit came to live inside. Well, that's one of the members. One of the members of the Trinity is living inside you. And all that inner Trinitarian love that was going on in time, from, from time past. I keep using the word time, but there was no time. How do we, as human beings, it's hard for us to explain that. But all that love, that's inside me and inside you. If we yield to it. What do we say? Believe what God says about love. Believe this is a commandment we can obey. Confess where we fail to do it. Yield ourselves to him. And remember, yeah, you'll fail. And you won't do it right all the time. But when you do, get back on track. Because not God never says, you know, you blew it. And I'm through with you. You know how you know God's through with you? Takes you home. So pinch yourself. If you feel something, God's not through with you. You're still alive. God's still at work. Let's bow our heads. All I can do is read you some verses and and kind of leads you through a discussion of what this is talking about. Ultimately, the, only the Holy Spirit can convict, can show you what he wants you to do. So right now, if God's bringing something to your mind, a failure to love, or the fact that that just doesn't characterize your life, confess it to him right now and yield your life to him and say, God, do in me what I cannot do myself. Let's just pray silently for just a moment. Father, thank you that, that your love dwells within us. Thank you that you were willing to step out of that circle of love on the cross because you loved us so much that you are willing to break your fellowship with the Father.
for me, for all of us. Father, we ask that you take your words, not my words, but your words, and that you apply it this week. Help us, Lord, as we go through this week to realize that you want people to look at us and to see a slice of you, what you're like, because they can see your love in us. And we pray that in the name of the one who loves us. Amen.